1: Hey everyone, welcome to Roundball Stew. I am Matt Straub. It is Wednesday, March 10th, and as the second half of the NBA season gets underway, we will be back breaking down box scores and fantasy trends very soon. Today, though, we have a special guest, ESPN Senior Fantasy Football Analyst Matthew Barry joins us to talk about the old days at Roto World, how fantasy sports have changed, and one long-standing fantasy hoops strategy that still carries weight today. Our conversation with Matthew Barry is coming up in just a second. Formerly known as rotoworld.com, we had a publishing system for columns for a long time that I think dated back to like the dark ages of the internet, the very old school CMS content management system, but it worked well. It worked and it had a long run and it had this drop down menu of names at the top. So you'd pick your name when you went to write a column and apparently no name was ever deleted from this list because every time you go to open it and write a column among this huge list of names, you would see the name Matthew Barry. And right now we are joined by ESPN's senior fantasy football analyst Matthew Barry. And Matthew, I want you to know I resisted the urge many, many times to publish a column under your name in that CMS.
2: Well, I appreciate that. You're a good man. You're a good man. <laughs> you know, Roto World was good to me. I, I didn't. Li- I didn't like the uh, the old owners too much. At least one of them. But uh, everyone that worked there was uh, was a quality person, and uh, you're no exception. But yeah, no. Listen, God bless that that old content management system. Because it allowed me, you know, I don't know how many people know sort of my story, but I worked at Roto World for four and a half years, which is where you and I met. And uh, I got up to like their, whatever, their senior writer. And I was making uh, the princely sum of $50 a column. I don't want to brag here, but I I was, uh, they told me I was their highest paid writer. I was making 50 bucks a column and I was doing two columns a week back then. So I was making hundred bucks a week. And so it was hundred bucks a week, 400 bucks a month. And they came to me and they said, Hey, listen, you know, money's a little tight around here and we'd like to, we need to, we're cutting back on salary. And so we'd like to move you to 100 bucks a month. And I said, Let me get this straight. I've been working here four and a half years. Uh, you tell me I'm your highest read columnist. And after four and a half years being your number one columnist, you want to cut my pay by 300%. And they said, Well, when, when you say it that way, it sounds bad. I'm like, that's how it is, dude. Like, I mean, the truth is, is that 400 bucks a month or, you know, I was working as a Hollywood screenwriter at that time. And so that's how I made my living. And my wife uh, at the time, she also made a nice living. Um, And so, you know, the the 100 bucks or 400 bucks a month, whatever it was going to be, didn't make a huge difference in my life, but it was the principle of the matter. And and they're like, well, that's the offer. And I said, my instinct was to tell them to go, you know, buzz off and, you know, use a lot of words that begin with the letter F. And, and, uh, but I, for once in my life basically said, well, let me think about it. And what I did there, Steve, is I went and back in the day, this is now 2004 when this happened, Yahoo used to have these things called fan groups. And I, I don't know if you can still do them, but then in essence they're like Facebook pages or anything like that, or even a discord group, if you want to, you know, but, in essence, basically what you could do is you could create your own fan page on Yahoo. And what you could do on these fan pages, you could, uh, you could create a system where somebody could sign up to be a fan of yours, and uh, all they had to do was give you an email address. Now, this is 2004. This is, this is before Twitter, uh, Facebook, anything. Like, not even MySpace. MySpace even happened. So the idea of, like, I knew I was going to leave Rotoworld, but I just needed to figure out a way to tell people I was leaving Rotoworld. Because I couldn't just email people or, you know, tweet about it, right? So my idea was I'm going to suck as many email addresses out of Roto World as I can. So I signed up for this Yahoo group, this Yahoo fan group. And in my next column, we were coming up towards the start of baseball season. Like it was, um, I think I was writing a fantasy basketball column at the time. But <laughs> fantasy baseball was right on the corner. So I wrote in the bottom of one of my columns saying, Hey guys, uh, if you're interested in my draft day manifesto for baseball this year, just come to this Yahoo link, you know what I mean, and sign up and I'll give it to you for free. And luckily, and I could just do that because they had this old school content management system that, you know, we've just talked about. And I did that. And by the way, I did it for four weeks in a row, which, by the way, it, on one level really helped me because I ended up getting like 10,000 email addresses, you know, um, which in that time in, in 2004 for one link in one fantasy basketball column. Pretty big number. And uh, on the Yahoo fan page, it would show you like how many people you had signed up. So I'm like over 10,000 after a month. And, um, but on the other hand, it was depressing. I'm like, doesn't anyone read my column at this place? Like, like they should be firing me now. Like they, how are they not firing me? And finally, eventually after a month, Rick Wolf, God bless Rick Wolf, who to this day is one of my closest friends, but he was my boss at Rotor World back then. Rick Wolf says, Uh, so about that link, we've discovered the link and, you know, they fired me, um, which was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I went out and started talented Mr. Roto and, uh, we did that for three years and, uh, we ended up selling it to ESPN and, uh, I've been here ever since. So,
4: so Matthew, you, you, uh, you were talented Mr. Roto at Roto world, like, yes, and, and we we crossed like ships in the night at roto world i feel like i came in around 2001 Mm -hmm. somewhere in there you were leaving in 2004 we never really interacted you were writing basketball you were writing baseball i feel like you were writing everything you and uh another guy john was his name john john loomer loomer you and loomer were the guys that i looked up to and like i want to have something that they have so for beginners you were telling Mr. Roto, I talked to my buddy Keelan and I was like, dude, I need a nickname because Roto World's going to let me write this column for zero dollars a week. Yeah, <laughs> I, I need a nickname. And he's like, what about Dr. A instead of Dr. J? And I was like, yes, let's do that. So I, yeah. I my first column was Ask Dr. A. And then really my two inspirations to do this were you and Rick Kamla because you, were, you had the big column on Roto-World, and then Kamla had a live fantasy basketball show on NBA TV. And I, I was watching him, and I was like, if these guys can make a living out of this, maybe I can too. And so that was really where my inspiration started. And I have the same Rick Wolf story. I have the same bugging Matt Pouliot at Roto-World to let me work. And so it's it, like, I, I don't know. I feel like a, there's a similarity there.
2: No, hundred percent. So first off, a couple of things to react to there. First off, you're a hundred percent right. I can't tell you how many people um, I've inspired uh, in the fantasy industry, because I think everyone just sort of saw me and was like, well, if that asshole can make it, surely I can. <laughs> that moron that, that sucks. I can definitely, I can definitely do that. So sure. You know, like um, I appreciate, it. I'm happy to have lowered the bar, bar for everyone. Um, and to your point, yeah, I mean, like, when I joined Roto World, uh, I read that there were a lot of columns that were all, they, they had a lot of generic names. Like, and, and you know, John Loomer wrote some, like, John Loomer wrote a fantasy basketball column, I think, called Over and Back. And the, the columns then were, like, Red Zone, First and Goal, you know? Um, <laughs> first <to> <laughs> Three-point shot. Like, it was all just, <laughs> like, these super generic, like, whatever, start, sit, you know? And you're just, like... And so I was just like, how am I going to stand out? How am I going to stand out? Like, I just don't want to do another column that's like, oh, after you're done with Red Zone, read, you know, read, you know, two minute drill, like whatever. Right. You know, like, uh, so my ex-wife and I had, um, you know, I was just like, and I was sitting there trying to come up with names and I'm like, okay, so it's Roto World. So what's a name that goes with Roto World? And I'm thinking like, you know, the Lord of Roto, you know, Roto Czar, Roto King, Dr. Roto, like all these kind of like, I think, you know, mostly terrible names in retrospect. And my wife and I had just seen The Talented Mr. Ripley with Matt Damon. And so my ex-wife, the best thing I ever got out of that marriage, she turns <laughs> to me and she says, what about The Talented Mr. Roto? And I'm like, sold. Because I'm just like, um, you know, I'm just like, because I wanted a name that stood out, uh, that was unique, that made me sound like an expert but also one that fit my personality that I didn't take myself too seriously. That was a little bit over the top and goofy. And so that's what, so yeah. So Mr. Roto, and it ended up working out because it works across all sports and it's a, it's a unique goofy name. And, you know, it, that was one of the things that helped me stand out initially when I started my fantasy sports writing career back in the day at Roto World
1: it's nice when you can point to a past relationship and say something good did come out of this. There is that thing to salvage.
2: Oh yeah. Listen, and my ex-wife is a, she's a great person. Like we, I've written about this in my book. You know, we just, we got together when I was 25 and she was 23 and we ended up getting, and we were basically inseparable from that moment on until we got divorced when I was 35 and she was 33. And we just, we were just in completely different people, you know? I mean, you know, Steve, you can speak to this too. It's just like the kind of person you are at 35 versus the kind of person you are at 25. It's just vastly different. And my ex-wife and I just grew apart. Like there was no third person. There was no drama. We never fought, but we just, we ended up becoming friends, um, rather than husband and wife. And it was one of those things where we used to joke about it. Um, we had a very amicable divorce and we used to joke about it. Um, like that if we had met when I was 35 and 30, and she was 33, like we wouldn't have gone out on a date, let alone been married. We were just so divergently different in terms of our interests and our paths and what we wanted to do. We just, we just got married way too young. And I tell all my kids now, I'm, I'm since remarried, as is she. She has a child. I have five. Some of them are um, from my, my now wife's uh, previous marriage. So it's a, we have a blended family. But I tell my kids now, do not get married till you're 30. I don't want you getting married till you're 30 because you're just way too different.
4: Um, I, I have a two-parter here. Do you yeah. remember the first time you saw a box
2: score on the internet? Oh, that's a great question. Um,
4: because I clearly do. Like we snuck into my wife's yeah. boss's office in like 1994. They had America Online. We clicked NBA scores box score and there it was and in in the indianapolis star where i grew up the only thing we got the next morning was points rebounds assists and then down at the bottom there was some three point and steals that was it do you remember the first time you saw a box score online
2: i don't know that i can pinpoint the exact moment but i certainly remember aol you know dialing up you've got mail and aol back in the day had and i don't know if this was right when i started but I mean, I had been playing before that. I've been playing since 1984. So back when you had to keep, you know, stats by hand, and you got your standings faxed to you. Literally, your standings were faxed to you. And they were faxed like once a week because you had to wait till Sporting News or USA Today came out with their stats for the entire week, and then you calculated by hand, or somebody in your league did and mailed out the standings. But um, I do remember that AOL used to have this little thing called stats, you know, the company Stats, Inc., and they had this little, I don't know if it's a widget or a program or something like that, but you could you could sign up for it via AOL, and then you could pick certain players that you wanted, and you could get their stats live. And so in essence, what you did is you would sign up, and you would pick the t- players on your fantasy team, and it would give you live stats. And it wasn't meant for this, but it was every fantasy player I knew used that. And that was, your, that was the first version of live scoring. That we ever had. So I totally remember doing that.
1: Matthew, speaking of old fantasy habits, that I think have changed. I have a very vivid memory of playing fantasy baseball in the early 2000s. And like reading about this pitcher, Eric Gagne in a Peter Gammons column, who the Dodgers were going to convert him from a starter to a reliever. Yep. And I like drafted him because of that. And it, there was this idea that you could kind of get an advantage. Uh, you could find things that your friends couldn't find back in the day now, whereas now everyone would know about Gagne or whatever the equivalent is. What's your feeling on that? Like, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Do you find yourself missing those days?
2: Yeah, a little bit. So it's a twofold thing. So 100%. I, um, uh, honestly, the first big win I ever got as a fantasy sports expert was I won MLB.com, had an experts league, you know, with a bunch of big name guys and like, you know, Ron Chandler and Todd Zola and all these all these, you know, really smart, you know, Peter Kreutzer and a lot of the guys that are in Tot wars. MLB.com had a fantasy expert baseball league. And I got Eric Gagne for a dollar at the end of that draft for exactly. I think I got it for two. Like I, I, yeah. I saw Gagne there and like I was sitting there and somebody threw him out for a dollar. And I knew that no one else could go past a dollar. And I said two immediately. <laughs> and, you know, or I, maybe I said like four because I knew. I had, I had tracked it so that I knew what my max bid was. I knew what everyone's max bid was. And so I said four bucks and boom. And I got Gagne and of course like he led the NL and saves that year or whatever it was. And I won that league. Yeah. And um, so that was a huge moment for me. So uh, there's always a place in my heart for Eric Gagne. Um, yeah. And I definitely miss that. Cause you know, like I'm a, I'm a nerd. I'm a, I'm a grinder and like, and so, so on the one hand I do miss those days because there was the ability to get an advantage by doing that. They're going the extra mile. But the truth is, is that the reason it is no longer you're able to do that is because everything's become so mainstream. Because it has become so insanely popular, fantasy sports, I mean, so insanely popular and uh, so many people do it that, you know, information is plentiful 24-7. And the truth is, is that because fantasy has become so popular and plentiful and omnipresent everywhere, it's made me, you know... A very comfortable man like it's been really good for me (laughs) the truth is is that the the explosion of fantasy on a personal level you know it's bought me a house it's you know um it's brought me to espn it got me my uh got me my you know my wife and my kids and you know i've i've done very well financially so um so on that level like honestly pretty good if i'm being honest um (laughs) And the truth is, is I bring this up every time. I, you know, now I'm just, I'm so busy. I only do fantasy football because it's just exploded. So I don't do fantasy basketball or baseball anymore. I used to write all three sports. But uh, every year for football, and I did this for baseball and basketball back in the day as well, I do a column called 100 Facts You Need to Know Before You Draft. It's the first column I write every year. And the premise of it is, is the exact opposite of what you just talked about, right? Is that it used to be back in the day, Like, oh, you you know, you're calling around to different local newspapers because this is pre-internet. Like, oh, 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 they've been bringing in Gagne in the ninth inning in spring training. Oh, that's interesting. Now the issue is not about finding the information. The information is about who do you trust? Right. Like, because there's so much out there and sifting through. He's in the best shape of his career. We're going to make him the starting running back. We're going to give him a bell cow roll. He's more of a running back by committee. Like, I think the leg is fully healed. I'm not sure the leg is, I think the hammy's acting up. Like, you're going to get a million opinions in every player. And so being able to sift through all of that to find the stuff that is true and being able to ignore the stuff that's just, you know, BS coach speak is, that's the key now. So it's sort of the exact opposite of what you're talking about.
1: Right yeah that makes sense and and we all like you said we all kind of evaporate from this screen if uh, fantasy hasn't exploded so it is a good thing like you said
2: god bless yeah it's really good it's really good for colleges to pay for god bless fantasy sports
0: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble
4: There is a part of me that misses, like I used to show up the drafts and be like, well, my guy, my guys say that I should take this guy. And my guys were like Roto-World Edge before anybody knew who they were. And like, that was you and that was Puliad, and that was my, like, uh, the, my, my secret list. weapons, you know? Yeah,
2: well, thank you. Listen, you know, like I feel like, you know, like there have been some uh, various plans that have sort of broken through in terms of fantasy sports. Obviously, Ron Chandler's Lima plan, very, very famous. Um, I think, you know, uh, my friend J.J. Zachariason, you know, with late round QB and, you know, some of that stuff. So there's a few, but, like, I never felt like I got my due. And make no mistake, I've been very blessed in the fantasy sports industry, and I've gotten more than my share of attention. But I do feel like, just speaking of sort of old-school fantasy basketball, my draft day manifesto, which was always point guards and power forwards, like my very specific strategy <laughs> yeah. of point guards and power forwards. That, but, you know, they had to be specific. The point guards had to get threes. They had to be speci- a specific kind of point guard, a point guard that would get you threes, assists, and steals. And the power forwards had to block shots. You had to get boards and blocks and, and a high field goal percentage. And I said, if you just do that, if you just focus on literally point guards and power forwards, you know, hopefully you find a power forward that's center eligible or whatever, but it's literally right. point guards and power forwards. Like it's gonna work out because you're gonna co- you're gonna cover most categories with that specific kind of player. And let whatever you know, small forwards, shooting guards, blah blah blah. Center doesn't rebound. Like screw that. You know, like like I never wanted Shaq because Shaq would kill your free throw percentage, and Shaq was never a rebounder. Like my one of my favorite basketball stats of all time is that Shaquille O'Neal never led the NBA in rebounds. <laughs> he was he's seven foot four, three hundred pounds, ripped. He was the most he truly was most dominant ever. He always says that I'm MDE most dominant ever. You were, and yet you couldn't hustle enough to freaking pull down a board.
4: <laughs> and now. You know, and now every single point guard and every power forward hits threes and block shots. Yeah, <laughs> it's a different world
2: today. It's a but different world and, and positions don't really mean anything. Like I'm a big believer in that fantasy basketball should just get rid of. Like just pick five guys or eight yeah. guys or whatever it is. You know, just like all flex. Because, like, you mean like what's Luca? Yeah, I mean like you know what I mean. Like some of these guys, like what's LeBron? Right. Like, like you know what? Like they played four Kevin positions six foot ten and he's as good an outside shooter as there is in the NBA. Like, what are we doing?
1: Yeah, and half the guys have like three position eligibility if you're playing now. So
2: Yeah, it's I mean fine. like Yeah, exactly. So
4: Matthew, do you remember the UBC basketball league that you used to be in?
2: Vaguely. I've been in a lot of leagues. I'm you
4: pulled you pulled me into that league seventeen years ago. Okay. It was you, Carabel. John Hollinger was in there it oh, was nice. an old school CBS weekly points league it was yep. crazy and I, I guess I like my it. question now,
2: now that you mentioned it yes I remember that league yep the UBC league
4: yeah yep. and you were like hey do you want to play we've got an opening and I was like oh my god and like I was going to ask you if you had a moment in your life that you remember like I think this might be my career. Like, I think I might have made it because for me, when you invited me into the UBC league with you and Hollinger and Carabelle, I was like, um, I might be able to do this for the rest of my life.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, that's a, it's a, it's a complex question because there's, it's a multi thing. When was I, when did I desire to do it for the, for the rest of my life? That was 2005. And honestly, it was a moment in therapy. And I've talked about this again in my book. And I was just sort of at rock bottom and I was super depressed. And I didn't, I hadn't fully captured it yet. But, you know, the truth is, is that I was in an unhappy marriage. I didn't enjoy my career in show business. And the only thing that made me happy was, and the only thing that I thought, when I went to bed at night and I woke up in the morning, the only thing I was thinking about, I wasn't thinking about these movie scripts that I was being paid a lot of money to write for movie stars. I was thinking about this dumb blog that I have with a couple thousand kids on it, you know. And so that was a moment where I realized, you know, and I went to my writing partner and I said, let's write one last movie, bank the money, because I'm going to try to make a living at fantasy sports. And I'll probably make less than $10,000 a year. Like the idea in 2005 that you could make a full time living at fantasy sports was just like, come on. But I'm just like, I don't care. I'm just I'm going to try to chase happiness. And that was you know, and, and that was trying to make a living at Fantasy Sports, whatever, and I'll figure out the rest. So there's that moment that I remember when I tried to make it in terms of the, the moment where I was like, oh, I can make a career of this was when ESPN bought my website in 2007. I'm like, oh, OK, because I wasn't making a living, you know, doing the site like the site was profitable, but like we weren't making enough money for me to, you know, really live on. I was living on off of my uh, movie savings. And uh, but ESPN liked it. They liked the subscribers. They liked the content. They liked me. And so you know, there was that moment. And there's moments at ESPN where really cool moments. Um, first time I got to do fantasy baseball on Baseball Tonight next to Peter Gammons, huge.
0: Mm, yeah.
2: uh, we did a fan like one of my first things that I did when we got here is they did a they did a fantasy football draft. I don't know if you remember this, but they used they had like like Susie Colbert and Merrill, Merrill Hodge would all draft teams. And they brought me in to be the Mel Kiper, you know, to sort of grade everyone's drafts. And Chris Berman was the host along with Tom Jackson that first year. And I'm like, and they're like, all right, well, what do we think, Matthew? You know, like hearing Chris Berman, who I grew up with, like freaking Boomer, you know, say my name on TV was kind of a surreal, like, holy crap. You know what I mean? Like my dad, my dad has watched Boomer for 30 years. just like, "The the hell why is Chris Berman talking to my kid?
0: You know what I mean?
2: Like he said it was a surreal moment for him too. So there are moments like that, that, you know, were sort of pinch me moments. You know, the first time I ever did sports center. And one of the first times I ever did was with Stuart Scott. That was a huge, mo- you know, there's a lot of kind of moments like that. First time I was at a, at a, like an SB party and an athlete came up to me. And, um, I, I, mean, I remember one time I was at, uh, we went to the All-Star game and we interviewed <laughs> players and I never brought up fantasy because I thought it was so nerdy. I remember I went up to Dan Heron and asked him about something, um, asked him a question, like a pure baseball question. And he was like, he goes, yeah, no, I know you're worried about my second half splits and my ERA rising and you are a (laughs) fancy man to trade me. I was like, oh, well, Dan, how do you address it? (laughs) Like, you know, so there's moments like that where athletes recognize me or people recognize me on the street. So a lot of them, I don't know that I answered your question, but.
0: That's awesome,
1: man. That's good. Yeah, Matthew, we appreciate you taking the time to stop by, man. Much appreciated.
2: Yeah, of course, man. Appreciate you. Steve, you do great work. You know, I've been a fan for a long, long time. Um, And so it's always good when we connect and enjoy it. And uh, glad you're uh, keeping the flame alive. I was sad. I don't know if you were. I was sad when they changed it to NBC Sports Edge. And I understand (laughs) there's I'm sure there's all sorts of marketing and branding and research they've done around that. And they want to get more into gambling. But you know, and, and and the word Roto doesn't mean what it doesn't have the same resonance to, you know, younger people today in terms of fantasy, the way fantasy does, you know, Roto is kind of a an old school name, but I miss Roto World. I miss well, the name.
4: I, you know, and I, I, do, I do too. I wrote, a, I wrote a column about that, like, goodbye Roto World, hello Edge. Like, I, I think a lot of people associate Roto with, like, plumbers and <laughs> emptying yeah. septic tanks and, and whatnot and the world changes it it is weird that there's the thing that really got you and i into fantasy sports in general was roto world it's weird that it's gone um this hat this roto world hat is probably worth a lot of money if any of you want to uh, bid on this matthew if you would like to make a bid Sure. Uh, it's it's up for sale. These are collectors' items now, but you know, oh,
2: listen, you should. The times they are changing. That, but then you should make an NFT of that hat, and sell that, and that'll be a collectible <laughs> as well. I'm just telling you. Like, let's double our money here. Let's uh, <laughs> let's do it up. I, All I'm right, you
4: and nice I, you and go. I will talk after. We'll talk after this. Yeah. Okay. Good.
1: <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter at Matthew Barry TMR. Hear him on the ESPN Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. And check out the fantasy show with Matthew Barry on ESPN+. Did I miss anything, Matthew?
2: No, that's all, that's all good.
1: All right. Hey, we much appreciate it, man. In.
2: Hey, go we get your kids. Go get your kids. I'm, I'm going to go. My daughters, they're, they're in dance class with so the little masks. So my nine-year-old daughter. So uh, I am on my way to do that. But uh, appreciate you guys. Enjoy the conversation and continued success as always. Hey, thank Likewise, you so man. much for Thanks coming a lot. on, man. Have a good my one. pleasure.
1: Well, that was fantastic. Really enjoyed getting a chance to talk to Matthew Barry about how far fantasy sports have come and how much everything has changed over the years. Really appreciate Matthew taking the time to chat all right that's going to do it for us a reminder before we go if you find yourself overwhelmed trying to manage your fantasy squads check out our league sync tool that pulls in all of your team and league info from yahoo to tell you the best players on waivers who to start who to sit and much more get access to league sync our dfs tools and betting tools by going to edge-plus.nbcsports.com also don't forget to subscribe on apple podcasts on spotify wherever you listen take a moment to rate and review us as well We'll be back on Friday to talk fantasy trends and more as the second half of the season gets underway. Thanks once again to Matthew Berry for stopping by. Thanks to Steve Alexander. And thanks to all of you for listening. We will talk to you soon.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble.